It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Look at Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who does not have intensity to run, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. 200%. <laughs> we, we, we need to come on to this in some detail. Um, but before we do... Oh, my God, I'm so angry about the Arsenal game. But, and I'm going <laughs> I'm I'm to enjoy talking about it because it's going to be cathartic. But before we get into that, um, we've had some lovely iTunes reviews. Thank you to everyone who's left an iTunes review. Cam, uh, Paolo Simini, Jarrett Mackey, who picked Hawks and Rats and talks about Spurs 2, Southampton 1 um, from the last season of White Hot Lane. Shout out Spurs to Hawks Sarah. and Rats, the, the, yeah, the correct. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan's choice also. <laughs> Uh, Spurs Sarah, who speaks of the League Cup semi-final replay against Arsenal, or Woolwich as she describes them, in 1987. And T-Bomb 8007, who picked Swansea 3-1 in April 2017, okay. the golden kit match. Okay. Yeah, The Ericsson yeah, go, Masterclass. Go read the review for the reason why. They're, they're great reviews. I'm loving these. Keep them coming. We enjoy them. We enjoy reading them. Um, thank you also to Barney Pollock for the very, very kind message that he sent to us. It was really, really sweet. Um, shout out also to Siggy on the Discord. Uh, if you know, you know. Uh, and now I can, I can, I can talk some shit about Bardi's manager. <laughs> I was absolutely livid after the uh, Arsenal performance. After being very zen-like about Spurs for the past couple of months i guess uh this boiled my piss um team selection matt doherty started i mean that was the only surprise for me to be honest i thought aurier would play but uh but doherty presumably kept his place because aurier was not quite fit enough or unable to play two games in quick succession having just returned from injury and the big news is not actually a spurs piece of uh of team news it's that abamyang was only on the bench and um, buddy were you were you uh were you pleased with the team selection did you think it was about right was think things that you'd have done differently uh, i think it was about right like you said i i probably would have started aurier i thought he had a good game midweek um Doherty has been concerning me for a while. I'm, I think I mentioned last week about his cardboard cutout status defending. So I, I was <laughs> concerned about him. I thought 
Um, Bamiyang was was an interesting mission. I I was happy to not see a Bamiyang, but then I was also concerned about the more workmanlike nature of Arsenal's front four, which which turned out to be correct. That a Bamiyang is is not a hard worker like Smith Rowe. He doesn't give you the stuff that Smith Rowe does, and so yeah, so him missing is it was a concern. It was a weird concern because obviously he's a massive goal for it, but then he he doesn't put in the work and have have the energy of the others. To be honest, I feel like um, that was a bit of a blessing in disguise. I think that uh, having both of those players in their squad kind of does Arsenal some harm. Like, obviously, there are occasions in which you can play two and out and out forwards, um, but probably not the biggest games. And I feel that, like, having to push Aubameyang Yang wide or Lacazette deep sort of does them some harm in build up play. So I, I don't think it was necessarily the worst thing for them, unfortunately. I mean, if if you look at the the way they set up with their forward players, like if you can imagine, we we replaced Bale with Lamella. Had we replaced Bale with Lamella in the starting lineup, what you lose by not having Bale, you gain by having Lamella. So there was that balance, and Arteta went with his way, and it, it ended up working for him. He he picked, he picked, he tossed a coin, and he won that. He won that battle. I think we do need to come back to our team selection after mm. some analysis of our tactics. Um, I mean, Nathan, let's start by asking you what you thought the intention was from Spurs, and, and then we'll come on to what Jose Mourinho thought the intention was. Well, uh, we said on this podcast in preview that we expected to to sit back and play on the break. So, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't really change my tone now on that. Um, I did think that, like, with how we've been playing, and I, and I complimented Mourinho for, like, the positive changes we've seen in the last few weeks, more towards possession against the likes of Burnley and Palace, Wolfsburg, or Zagreb, to, to be a bit more front-footed, that we might have some spells of possession. Um, but, yeah, we, we said we said that we would set up to play in the way that we did, um, and I kind of stand by that, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I, I pretty much thought that, that we, would, we would surrender possession and look to play on the break. Maybe take our spells, yeah, but, like... The thing, and we're going to talk about Mourinho's comments more in depth and sort of get a bit more into it, but it's like we played, we set up like this in the reverse fixture. We set up like this against City. Uh, we set up again like this uh, against Chelsea. And it's like when the results came in for us, there was no discussion around us like not playing how we'd been set up to play. I don't know. I uh... The counter argument to that would be like that Mourinho has recognised the upturn in the way that high intensity teams have been more successful with their counter pressing in the second half of the season, which is why we've seen this this increase of our own possession and our own pressing. Um, and so he his game plan for this would have been reflective of the the changes in fitness. Um, and so he's gone into this game looking to have a greater share of the possession. But basically, there was nothing on the pitch at all that uh, that makes that a persuasive argument and I feel like I'm clutching at straws on Mourinho's behalf which is not something I'm really inclined to do to be honest I I was a bit more confused by I I suspect had um, had we started with Sissoko, Hjoiberg and Endombele as our midfield three I would have I would have thought we would have gone low block and counter I I don't think I don't think we set out to defend because I don't think the team was set up for it. You you don't defend with Gareth Bale on as doubling up to help out the fullback because that's foolishness. If that was what Mourinho intended to do, then then he needs to he needs to rethink his his life and his football ability because that's <laughs> you, you you simply do not ask Bale to track back because he can't do it. He's never done it. So I don't think it was our intention to do that. I just think 
I just think Arsenal played us really, really well and we were unable to cope with it. And we, we, we were getting to the goal and we scored that goal and we were kind of fortunate to get in at 1-1. I don't think we intended to play deep and counter. I just think Arsenal forced us that way and then we had no ability to change up. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what Jose Mourinho has said. He, he said, uh, very, very poor first half. We did not have the intensity to run. Everybody was dropping back and nobody was looking to attack, apart from Lucas with some individual actions. Um, Adam TDM, one of our ex-subs, says, Jose's interview suggested it was the players who decided to be defensive. Was it? Was it or... Is this his last straw and he is covering up a tactical plan that worked last time, but not I think this? Last time, last time we played them, we... I, I can't remember. Did, did uh, Ndombele start? Did Ndombele start at home? I can't, I can't remember now. It's just... Yeah. I think had we planned to be defensive, we would have gone to Soko, Hjoyberg, Ndombele. And I fully believe that. You do not attempt to play low block counter with Lucas, Lamella, and then a midfield of those two. You just, you just simply wouldn't do it. I think, I think Mourinho got fat. I mean, that's pretty much how we set up against City in the victory we had against them. But we didn't have Bale in the team. I just, I just Bale, Bale's the outlier in this. I understand why you play Bale because he's been in such good form. But I think if you're going to play Bale, you do try and play a bit more possession-based football. I just, I just think Arteta did a number on Jose, and he was unable, he was unable to change out of it. He like he 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 didn't see what was happening, even though all of us could see. And it, it's a madness that we didn't adjust. I mean, we went one 0 up change something you could make a substitution there he's made early substitutions before but I think I mean can you imagine had he taken off bail after 40 minutes that would have been insane people would be going after him but I think he needed to change a change needed to be made because we were being dominated and it wasn't going to plan so so my take is that I mean I didn't mind to be to be frank I didn't mind what system we played for this game I, I see this game in a vacuum I don't think I'm not bothered about playing nice football against Arsenal. I just wanted to get the result because it's Arsenal and also because... Yeah, fair enough. Because of the, the point situation in the table. We know we potentially... this They've gained three points on us now. This is bad. We don't need this to happen. So I just wanted us to, to get the result any means possible and I was willing to sort of forego watching us attempt to attack if that was the, the right method. If we're saying that that was what we, he tried to do, then this is even more of an abject failure. It is... I mean... So you can watch any five minutes, go back and watch any five minute spell from the first 70 minutes of this match. And what you will see is no pressing. You will see players standing off Arsenal and allowing them to pass the ball at will across the pitch and sometimes through the pitch. We didn't lay a glove on them. We didn't get close to them. Um, And so Alistair Gold tweeted a snippet or or posted an article and someone tweeted the snippet from the article saying that uh, João Sacramento is constantly using the word press from the edge of the technical area. I didn't see any coordinated pressing in this match at all. Literally none. Uh, And... And, and so something's going wrong there. If if the odd player is not playing with intensity and is not pressing, that is an individual failing. That is a failing of, of that player. When the whole team fails to fulfil the tactical remit, that is a systemic issue that comes back to the manager. And I don't, like I said, fine. If, 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 if the system is to sit back off Arsenal, allow them to play themselves out and cross the point of the box and we head it away, I've got no issue with that. But if we're saying that the idea was to press high and attack, oh my God, that this was the opposite of that. It was a horrendously lifeless, lacklustre performance. Really, really disappointing. And frankly, he had the opportunity to correct issues handed to him on a plate when he had to take Son off. So if you wanted to do something about the structural problems, if you wanted to bring Sissoko on, for example, and 
pushing Dombali forward as a 10. That was his moment to do it. And what he did was went for the most like he could manage, which is bring Lamella on and push Lucas outside. Um, so that was a failure in itself. To, to not correct a mistake as it was happening. It, this is such a such a bad performance, literally one of the worst performances of the season from my perspective. I hated watching it. I was frustrated. I was furious. Uh, and I, I'm even, you can hear it in my voice, I'm furious now, a day later. It's Arsenal. I, I really am fed up. <laughs> but this, this, this is a performance that we've seen for, for a decade. It's this, why, what I don't get is, like, um, it's very interesting football fandom and stuff because post Everton, you were kind of happy and I was furious. And I'm okay with this. I know we lost to Arsenal, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm all right with it. I think the biggest fear for me was going into this game as favourites. And it's just this weird thing that happens. And when we go into a match of Arsenal favourites, especially at their ground, because it always does seem, I think, I think we beat Real Madrid at home in the Champions League and we went to we went to the Emirates and we're like oh yeah yeah we're gonna, now we're going to smash Arsenal and I think we lost 2-0 and it, it's what happens and then another year we go there to go to play Arsenal They're, we're favourites and then we get spanked 4-2 and it was almost like we're going to this game as favourites because we're doing this and the narrative and everything else Arsenal dead looking down or not, we're not looking down we're looking up and then we lose to Arsenal this isn't this is this is something which transcends managers. Like we've thrown a lot of managers at this, and we still will keep getting the same results. So I thought Mourinho would be able to fix this, but even this is beyond fixing. Like we've won once at Highbury. It's a it's a weird thing, but it's something which continues to happen. And I know I, I think maybe this is in the top five worst performances we've had at Arsenal. It's I'm a yeah. It's in the top five. It's nowhere near the top. So I I don't think I think. There's no need to get too angry about it. Yes, it's horrible, but it's a it's a North London derby which we've lost. We've lost. But, but you need you, you need the context, Bardi. You're you're missing all the con. The, the context is that we've got mm. Arsenal were tenth in the league. They had their captain and main goal scorer on the bench, which we've addressed. We've addressed. We had, that, that's, actually we had them. we had Kane and Bale. Kane and Bale in like literally some of the best form of any players in the Premier League at the moment. We're going into it off the back of what five wins in a row, mm. six wins in a row. Everyone's buoyant. <laughs> we're thinking, God, we we're actually yeah. starting to play some football. Can of course we carry not. It's Arsenal away. It's just like there's no surprise here. I'm just why I'm not angry about it. There's no surprise. I think. I think maybe we went a bit too heavy against Zagreb. But I know Arsenal had their trip to Olympiacos and everything else. But I think I think we perhaps misjudged Zagreb, and that was a harder game than we thought it'd be. And then we came into this, and we got we got done by Arsenal. And Arsenal have done City last year. Arsenal done Chelsea last year. And even though I don't think they're very good, they have their moments in them that against a certain type of team, they're able to set up and find a formation that works for them. And they hit the hit the post. We also hit the post, but. They scored a deflective goal and a penalty. And I know on the on the XG and everything else, they opened us up a bit more. But another day we take a draw and then we walk away from this. Ah, oh, it's the Emirates. I I don't think there's anything to take from this game that is that you can draw conclusions on about the whole of our season. I I just I I let's take uh, this as a unique game. <laughs> I couldn't disagree more. Honestly, I, I'm taking. I'm. I mean, obviously, I would say this, but I'm taking more away from this game than I've taken from the previous three league matches because, as everyone's pointed out on social media, and you know, I don't need to repeat it, but I will. Uh, we've not beaten a team in the top eight since since we beat Arsenal in was it December. That's a really concerning run. I mean, absolutely great that we're flat trap bullies who can beat the teams that are in the bottom half of the table. Mm. We need to be able to do that. That's really important. Yeah, I mean, it's hugely important. 
But we also need to be able to beat some of the teams around us, and we can't do that. Like we can't just keep losing to any teams that are top eight, top eight, top four, fine. No problem with that. You know, City, Liverpool, Manu, whatever, Leicester even, fine. You know, I'm happy with a draw against those teams. Beat the rest. Beat the majority of the rest. This is... It's concerning that it's been so long now since we've beaten the top eight side. Uh, we, I mean, the thing is, and I mentioned this pre-game, it was a concern to me that Fulham gave us so many problems, a team that are capable in possession. And that was in the back of my mind coming into this. I was thinking, well, you know, Arsenal clearly are more capable even than Fulham in possession. Are they going to cause us problems too? And part of me thought, well... Mourinho, he he hates losing these games. He he really hates losing a game where he sort of sees a, a managerial matchup that he would be embarrassed to lose out in. And um, I thought he'll have something up his sleeve. He'll have he'll have a he'll have a surprise or two for Arteta. And there were no surprises. There was nothing. We literally the only time we looked good in the game is when we had to tear up the game plan and throw the kitchen sink at them in the last twenty minutes think, with ten I men. Think we we've become better under Mourinho against teams that sit deep. I think I think we're a bit smarter there, but we're still awful against teams that press us. And even with 10 men, when Arsenal took off Lacazette, they put on Elneny, they put on Willian and they removed their high press. As soon as they sat back, we looked good. And that, I, I don't think it's Tottenham now, all of a sudden the hand breaks off, we're starting to attack. I think it's, we we are a good team against teams that sit deep. We've, we've I think we're getting past that. Um, what we're not good is against a team with an organised press. Um, we couldn't get the ball from out of defence into midfield. I thought Ndombele and Schoiberg had their worst games for us that I've seen in a while. I I was hoping from Ndombele to, you know, we we talk about statement performances, but I was looking for him to take this performance. But Xhaka and Partey, they they run all over him. They they suffocated him and we were unable to get to work the ball through to Kane. They they were very smart and I wanted more from Ndombele and I just I just think we lack that third midfielder that we could have played alongside Huey Berg and Ndombele. That's I think that's critical. Had we had a Lo Celso who can withstand a bit of a press, who can tackle but offer us a bit more than Sissoko, I think I think those three against this team would have been better Lucas we, we spoke we spoke about Lucas and he's, he's just like kind of an Uzi that just fires everywhere he's not really the type of player for this yeah I, ju- I just think our biggest problem was centre midfield and the fact that they they just got bullied and swamped by Arsenal so Nathan I thought for me the central midfield problem which I agree with Bardi was a, was an issue I think that came for me as a result of uh the outright Arsenal's left being so problematic so what we saw from quite early on in the game was Arsenal doubling up on Doherty, who had absolutely no protection from Bale, for the reasons that Bardi mentioned. He's just not good at defending. He's not good at running back towards his own goal, tracking runners, etc., etc. Doherty was getting double teamed by um, Smithrow and Tierney. And so Huey Bier was being dragged over there to, to help try and stem the the tide of attacks that were coming down that side, leaving Ndombele often trying to hold the midfield together by himself. Nathan, would you would you say that that was a, a an issue that could have been corrected in any other way? What would you have done to stop that? Because it was a real problem for Doherty in terms of the fact that it's two v one, but also in terms of individual performance. Uh, it's definitely not something that's easily corrected. I don't think there was an obvious, um, you know, you, playing like Lamella in place of Bale as, as a starting eleven player. Sort of, yeah, does some some for you, but I like. Bale can offer so much on the counter-attack obviously he's not like the blistering 
uh, player that he was back in the day for us and he's not gonna you know just absolutely tear things up but I think like he still has considerable off the ball speed um he's still going to be able to sort of be be you know <laughs> essentially uh, as as much as this if if he opts not to play bail and we lose yeah, yeah. <laughs> how does that look you know you left our you know you left our most informed attacker on the bench and we didn't score any goals that kind of thing um I don't know it's complicated I, I do think that like um <laughs> going back to that sort of wider picture thing like the Emirates has been an awful place for us to go throughout its entire existence um but like this wasn't us uh you know Kane scoring one of the greatest goals I've ever seen and then us sort of like tiring out and letting it slip in the last few minutes this wasn't you know us getting a little sort of edgy and like this is us being completely dominated and outplayed by the team in 10th place and I and I I I, I I do think it has to sit within the context of the rest of the season and everything else around the club at the moment. And then in terms of intent, it's like, it goes back to, to the stuff that we talked about before. We talked about, especially after the Palace game, in terms of like, yes, you can you can stand there on the touchline and scream the word press over and over again. But like, that partly that's like, that's a little bit performative for me to like do that in front of the press box. Um, but like, again, what we talked about before is, Okay, you're saying press there and then in the game, but like the wider context is not just the instruction of there and then. It's like, have you been training high pressing throughout the week? Um, have have you has your analysis around this game been about a front footed approach? Uh, have you been training your possessional structure? Have you been training how you're gonna find your attacks? Um, have you been training how Arsenal are gonna press you and the ways you're gonna want to play around that? Uh, rather than you know doing your standard match training, and the thing is that Mourinho is very much as a uh, uh, specifier in his game approach. So, like, what did we train in preparation for this game, and how well does that match up with screaming press? Essentially, the first line of our press mm-hmm. is Harry Kane, and <laughs> like he did not press Arsenal's deepest players. He didn't, pre- you know, he jogged slowly towards them in the ball as a means of shuttling them towards their fullbacks etc he did some cutting off of accessing the direct pass between the center back and the central midfielder all kind of standard stuff you expect from a, a Mourinho side sitting deep but he didn't you know close down with intensity so if there's an issue with with our pressing it starts with Harry Kane so the accusation from Mourinho has to be Harry Kane isn't intense enough. Harry Kane doesn't care enough. Harry Kane didn't try enough. And I find that a really hard thing to swallow because he leads the press. And if he closes down the centre-backs with intensity, then you look to Mora, then you look to Bale, then you look to Sun, etc. to say, okay, how are they supporting him? How are they following him? Is he not pressing because he (laughs) doesn't care enough? Is he not pressing because he hasn't been instructed to? Is he not pressing because he doesn't trust the players behind him to follow him? Um, if he closes down an Arsenal centre back with intensity, is that wasted because he's just going to be passed around? Which is something that we have seen quite a bit uh, from the Spurs side under Mourinho, especially during his his first few months. Um, but again, since then, um, so I don't have hard answers really on these. But I I just find the players didn't enact my game plan. Um, you know, very unfulfilling as an explanation. I mean, Nathan, you're being very charitable i think in assuming that that is correct to be honest um i think it's completely disingenuous i think when you look at the heat maps and you see where Kane was actually positioned on the pitch 
I mean, as you said, it would be very easy to correct that in game. You just literally say to Kane, I want you to be 10 yards higher pressing the ball. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't, he was choosing not to do that. He was, he was sitting off. He's letting Gabriel, who, by the way, he can pass from defence. I didn't realise he had such a good passing range on him. Um, he, he was letting him dictate the play. David Luiz was bringing the ball into midfield and, and peeing passes out to Tierney on the left. Partey the same. There was no pressure in midfield. There's nothing. And so what Mourinho says after the game is that uh, Bale and Ndombele were not giving the the right amount of pressing, the right intensity. And so he said, we needed initially Sissoko to give us that intensity in the midfield that Tongi was not giving us. Then Delhi was a player who had a desire to play. And in the last match, he did not complete the 90 minutes. He was fresh and had a good understanding with Harry. So that was his rationale for the substitutions. Um... Yeah, I mean, I just find it really difficult to sort of square in my head the, the idea of Spurs setting out to 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 press, and then what we witnessed. I mean, um, which was... he he shuffled to to bring in uh, Ndombele more centrally, so um, he put he put him as into the number ten role, and then the first thing Ndombele did was just smack the ball out for throwing as he. He just gave the ball away, and then Mourinho just reacted immediately and and hauled him off. I think yeah. I, th- I think he should have had a little bit more patience there. Hundred percent. You've just you've just shuffled the team to to make him pivotable. To try to get him into the game <laughs> to make him your kind of most crucial player, and he just hauled him off. I thought that was a little bit childish. Yeah, but I, but I don't I don't think that yeah, was hundred percent agree I, on that. He wasn't good because Arsenal stopped him, and he just didn't have his strongest performance and. I, I keep repeating it. I just looking back now. Hindsight's amazing because we we saw the lineup against Zagreb and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he's taking this serious, but the ramifications were there. Were clear that our players just couldn't just couldn't do it again. They couldn't repeat a, a high intensity performance. And and Arsenal did. I said sometimes sometimes you get beaten by teams that are better than you. And sometimes you get beaten by teams that overall are worse than you. And just because Arsenal are below us in the league doesn't mean they they can't beat us on their day. They can't they can't have a plan. And get it and just do it perfectly and beat us. That's football. That's what happens. I just think I think there's a lot of stuff that Mourinho has been doing this year that we can we can kind of take an overview of his management of the club. I just think taking this game as an example of Jose Mourinho's failings just on one North London derby is a little bit using this to to perhaps windy push your own agenda. But I think there's plenty more we've seen this season from Mourinho which you can use. It's not this is the game that that highlights it. I think. We we know Mourinho's problems. We've we've seen it over multiple games. It's not just one game that that is is the reason why he needs to go. Mm. Uh, so you mentioned Zagreb and and how strong we went. Uh, Son obviously started that game. Um, my gosh, has has that boy played some minutes this season? Uh, three thousand three thousand one hundred forty odd minutes, third highest in the in the, in the squad after Huibier and the Reese. And regrettably, he limped off with what seemed to be a hamstring injury. And, and Mourinho says that's mm-hmm. football. I don't know how long it is. It's muscular. Muscular is usually not easily easy. He's normally a guy who recovers quickly. It's an accumulation mm-hmm. of matches. I gave him thirty minutes rest in the last match, but it's still sixty minutes. Hmm, yeah, uh, <laughs> when 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 that happened, I thought to myself, like, this is a muscular injury. We understand the relationship between muscular injuries and and fatigue. But if I say, if I you know go on this podcast tomorrow when I say uh, that injury happened because he's been played too many minutes, I might get quite a bit of pushback on that. Mourinho comes out and outright says 
he gets his hamstring injury because he's played too many minutes. But then the conversation becomes like, whose fault is it that he's played too many minutes? It's not Mourinho's fault that there has been far too much football for Spurs this season. It's not Mourinho's fault that, you know, the season has been compressed into a small amount of space, that there wasn't a pre-season, um, that the whole entire situation is terrible for every elite footballer out there at the moment. Um, but it is Mourinho's fault that he is like, you know, the domestic cups guy. It is Mourinho's fault that he, you know, chose to play Sun for 60 minutes ahead of the North London derby on a Thursday night when he has Delhi and Lamella and Lucas and Bale and, okay, not La Celso yet, but clearly options and depth there. Um, Son, yeah, Son's played just so much football and, and he doesn't have to, except he does have to and it's demonstrated in this game why he does, which is that when we're pushed back and we're trying to hit a team on the counter, he is our only outball, right? We find Ndombele, we find Kane and rapidly quickly they find son who runs in behind and without son we had no threat on the counter at all we were dead we we're dead in the water we had a spell of possession that lamella scored from and then we at the end of the game we had a spell of possession where we got a couple more shots off but we didn't have anything on the counter for the rest of the game the second the son is off the pitch because there's no one to make that run in behind i thought delhi could mm. have been that he came on much later than i you know obviously delhi for son is the direct move that i would have made delhi came on later didn't offer much in behind but then and that's also a period of time when we were more towards having possession, so there wasn't that space for him to run into behind too. We've literally seen Delhi score goals running in behind against Arsenal before on, onto long balls, so there was that. But yeah, Son has played far too many minutes, and part of that is, is for tactical reasons, which is that without him, how do we attack space? When Against Zagreb, when Son came off, they put on Bergwijn, and uh, he, he just does look like a broken forward. And I think... I think perhaps Bergwijn should have started, but then Mourinho doesn't want to lose the doesn't want to lose the Europa League, so he he can't take that risk to not play Son. Son is one of our best forwards. It's um it's it's a risk that they took and it's backfired now. And the only good thing is we've got a couple of games now, and then there's a nice little break. Hopefully, Son can come back after the international break. Yes, that's definitely that's definitely the upside of this situation. I mean, I I, I would say that Son has been. Um, let's say off form, and I think that is a that is a generous reading for quite some time. Um, and and for me, that is the time where you start to rest on a bit. That's the time where you say, right, okay, maybe maybe he's just fucking knackered and needs a bit of time out the team to to recover the um the incredible form that he had at the start of the season. Um, and this is a position in our squad where we're really well stacked, and we've got some players who are looking good at the moment. You know, this is the best spell that I think I've ever seen Lucas have for Spurs across a few matches. I don't, I don't recall him being informed this good in his Spurs career personally. Lamella, the same can be said of him. You know, of course he got a red card in this match, but generally he's been playing pretty well recently. Delhi's coming back into form. We've got Bergwijn, who's um, who's an option as well. There are, there are other possibilities here. Um, and, and so it's really frustrating to me that Son's just been ridden and ridden and ridden until his form dropped and now he's injured. I'm seeing the same with Huibier. I mean, he's just been played and played and played until his form dropped yeah. off a cliff. Terrible in this game, as Bardi pointed out already. Um, and, and that can't just be luck. That's that's partly down to the number of minutes he's played. It's 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 obvious to me. Um, but you're right, Bardi. Mourinho's scared of, of losing matches. And so he, he picks what he thinks is his best team without taking into account fitness and, and minutes and it's I find it so frustrating I find it really frustrating from a man who's clearly because 
of the impact he's had on the introduction of periodization. The man who knows his stuff when it comes to this. He really does know his stuff. But here we are. Um, Magnolias says, can we ever play Bale in this 4-2-3-1 again? Arsenal just exposed us and did us from minute one. They clearly picked up on that Liverpool goal, the one that caused the Aurier halftime sub, and just ran with it. Every opponent should and will practice this tactic and have it in their back pockets to use against us if we come out in this shape with Bale again. Nathan, what do you think? Um, is this Bale right in a 4-2-3-1 a, a problem per se? Um, complicated again, obviously. Uh, as a as a general position, no, you can play Bale on the right of four two three one. You played Bale on the right, you know, uh, against <laughs> Burnley, uh, against Fulham, against West, etc. You know, basically every game he's played has been on the right of a four two three one, and and has had a, a brilliant spell recently. Um, can you play Bale on the right of four two three one in the big games? when he's going to have to do some defending. Still quite possibly, I think that like maybe the hard rule has to be you can't play Bale in a 4-2-3 on the right of a 4-2-3-1 when he is partnered uh, in a big game, when he's partnered with mm. Doherty and quite possibly also when he's partnered with Aurea too, which leaves <laughs> you in a really difficult situation because how do you play Bale or do you not play Bale um, you know, until after we've been able to address the right-back situation in, in a transfer window. Uh, it's a very complicated one. One way that you can do it, in my opinion, is to have a lot more of the ball and have to do a lot less deep defending. But obviously that, that goes back to sort of half an hour's conversation that we just had. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, Bardi, I think you've, you've already referenced it once, but Mourinho's pre-match comment about not looking down. Um, I don't mind about it. It's um he they they asked him I I don't know what the question was but his his focus was up the table which is a fair enough response he's not he's not looking down at the relegation zone he's not worried about teams below him for him his focus is finishing the top four which is above I think it was an okay response and to be honest with you I quite enjoyed it it does go it does now you looking back oh maybe he wrote their their team talk I don't think so I'm not sure. Arteta prints out things and sticks it up on the wall. I think he, if he sticks anything up on the wall, it's a, it's a PowerPoint presentation of where he wants his players to line up. Mm. Um, you know, I liked it in the build-up to. I think sometimes Pochettino perhaps gave too much respect and was a bit too, bit too nice and too sweet towards Arsenal and Arsene Wenger in particular. Um, no, I, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. You? I guess it. I guess it annoyed you, Chris. <laughs> Um, it didn't annoy me at the time in the sense that I was I was furious. <laughs> I just thought, for God's sake, wait, you know, wait, wait until the match plays out before you before you party on their grave. Don't maybe even wait till the season has run out because I'm not convinced we finish above Arsenal this season. I'm really not, and and I think he just looks like an idiot now. To be honest, I think he just looks really foolish. So it's because because we lost the game. I mean, I think I think. What he's trying to do is remove the kind of narrative of all we care about is Arsenal. He's trying to say that we have other things to be concerned about, which Pochettino used that tactic as well. We have other things to worry about than just finishing above Arsenal. His focus is to is to go up the table. Of course, we lost the match and everything everything looks bad when you lose a football game, but yeah. But I also think it sort of directly contradicts his approach to games as well. I think this whole, you know, we're not scared of other people, we're looking up, not down. It's... It's in contrast to his his tactical preparation, to his his methods on the pitch, which are we are scared of the opposition. You know, when we when we come up against a team in the top half, we are genuinely scared. We sort of we are deferential, as as you mentioned that Pochettino was. The rhetoric may have been with Pochettino, but the the intentions on the pitch weren't. 
I feel like it's the opposite with Mourinho, where the rhetoric might be very sort of alpha male, but the the what we're seeing on the pitch is is a team that's that's terrified. That's what this first thought is: let's not do anything wrong. Let's be cautious, and and then we worry about. Um, what I mean, we I'm, do. I'm unsure about that because, I, as I've already said, if he said this is not a team set up to low block and counter, in my opinion. So I I don't think we went onto this pitch scared. We went onto this pitch to try and dominate possession, and it it didn't work for us, and it it fell flat for for a number of reasons we've already covered. I don't think I don't think we went out into that pitch with scared of Arsenal. I think we had a plan to beat them, but it, it never worked, and it, he was unable to change it, or he didn't. He refused to change it, and I think that's where the problem of this match happened. That he was unable to 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 change the flow of the game. You could see it. We keep saying. I think it's the sentence we've said the most. You could see where this was going, and especially after we after we scored the fantastic goal, which we haven't spoken about, which is a real shame. But um, it, it's one of, for me. I'm just going to say quickly on that goal. It's going to be one of those lost North London derby goals, a bit like the the Kane mask goal, which for me doesn't do anything but bring yeah. back bad memories. This such a shame that this goal will not be remembered how it should be. And if you look at the other side, Arsenal, Lacazette scored an incredible goal um, at the end of last season at White Hart, uh, New White Hart Lane, which is now lost in in one of these games. So it's, it's such a shame that Lamella's goal won't be remembered properly won't get the credit that it's deserved but I think yeah I think Mourinho's inability to stop to stem the flow and change up during that match is 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 the biggest fault the biggest fault here not how he started the game it's a really it's a really good point number of times recently (laughs) number of times recently where I thought oh uh, I think Lamella's going to get sent off this season (laughs) and gone oh no no he never gets sent off he never gets his second yellow does he number of times I've like started writing a tweet saying I'm concerned about Lamella getting a second yellow a couple of times I've I've done a discord (laughs) uh, extra inch discord server message saying I'm worried about like Lamella's in for a second yellow today Um, (laughs) and uh, yeah Hmm. I really was worried worried about it in this match and I thought no don't say it because it never comes true he never gets a second yellow <laughs> the first time in his career he gets his second yellow in the North London Derby the thing is like he was the minute he came on he mm. was kicking players off the ball and I just think that like okay he did get away with those but like with VAR how much longer are players going to get away with that kind of like how how long before they restructure the rules that an opposition manager can call for a review and say, I think that player just kicked that one. And how do you not send off a player who just completely away from the ball, away from the play, just just kicks an opposition player? So, um, I don't know. Obviously, this has been coming for over a decade because of who <laughs> Lamella is and the, and the way he plays. I feel like Lamella's been sharpening his elbows for his his whole Spurs experience, ready to to thrust one into the thorax of uh, Kieran Tierney, um, and and had we won, mm. that would have gone down in, in history as a sort of cult Spurs moment. He's been very smart. He's been very smart in finding the the gap in VAR that VAR can't review yellow cards. <laughs> so he's always he's always kind of flitted between that yeah. that get out clause. It's true, and just relying on referees going, yeah, that's just so 
silly and so petulant that I'm not going to give him a second yellow card. But yeah, his luck finally run out. I mean, it's a potentially it's a red card foul, which is why it's given as a second yellow. Ref, refs, you know, only give second yellows for red card worthy fouls. Anyway, he's punched him in the face. He's pretended you can't see him, and he's punched or he's slapped him in the face. It's just, it's very early Miller, and and when he gets away with it, or when it's his first yellow, we love it. Um, but if he's on the pitch for you know more than forty five minutes, it's it's always going to be a risk. And the fact that it hasn't, you know, his his. His XR, right? He's expecting red cards are through the roof, <laughs> you know, especially, uh, you know, stretched over 90 minutes. So that's always a risk with, with him and, you know, subbing him on uh, in the first half and everything else. We, we do need to linger on the goal briefly. I know Bardi's completely correct that it is a, a lost, a lost Coy's moment. But really, it was absolutely extraordinary the um the technique we've seen obviously lamella not just score a boner but attempt other boner shots and crosses and passes he, it's a thing he does he doesn't like to use his right foot so he finds ways of using his left foot <laughs> and he's very good he's very good at it that's that's you can't say he doesn't like to use his road right, it, it it transcends levels beyond <laughs> he doesn't like to use his right foot he <laughs> he has no like cognitive relationship with yeah. his right foot Right, his instinctive reaction to the ball moving towards his right hand side is to wrap his left foot. Like, I've I've hit Rabonas before in my life playing, you know, down the park. But it's something I have to be like, oh, maybe this is an occasion, or I should do the, I should do, like, it's something you have yeah. to really think about. It's something yeah, you have yeah. to prepare. It's something you have to sort of like, like, think out through your mind how you're going to do it. But he, for him, hitting a Rabona is as instinctive <laughs> as hitting like an inside. It really foot is. Pass. It really is. <laughs> you know? And the thing is, I've always been kind of surprised by how much power he can generate from his his Rabona. But that's the thing. He's but, he's unique in that. Not that he. Not only did he generate power, this time he also generated curl. He also nutmegged someone. It was like new levels to the Rabona finish. <laughs> it was insane. Such a such a talented such a talented um moment from, from a what what do you think I was no. gonna say? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say Rabona, a, a talented Rabona. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a child, obviously. <laughs> but oh dear. Other other players other players Rabona the ball, but when they do, it's like it's an awkward kind of. It's a chip. Ndombele hit a, a Rabona cross against yeah, yeah. Norwich last season, and it's very impressive. It's very silky. It's very skillful, but it's still just sort of like a wobbly, wonky sort of toe punt, like a like a snooker trick shot or something. Ball. Yeah, yeah, and they have their their for other players. This is they have their value and they have their place, but it's obviously a very limited way to hit the ball, unless you're Lamella. In which case you can fizz it into the far side inside netting of the goal. It's crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. Do you remember when um, David Dunn, the, the Blackburn midfielder, <laughs> attempted a Rabona and fell over on his ass? <laughs> Definitely the best. I, I really liked um, Nathan's comment about he would just do anything other than use his right foot, even like try a Rabona. And it just remember, reminds me of like as a child, like I hated setting the table, like. On a Sunday, my mum would call me like, "How did he set the table?" And I just I didn't want to do it, so I would like have an argument with her 
just to, just so I didn't have to do it, and it would be anything getting sent to my room by doing by just by swearing or saying something stupid, so I didn't have to set the table. That's literally Lamella's right foot. He just he would rather do anything else than use it. So I mean, what a what a weird player he is, but um, a cult <laughs> hero nonetheless, to me at least. I know he's not to many. Um, we we should spend some time on on Zagreb. So we play them again on Thursday. Uh, I think we have a pretty good idea now of of what to expect from them. Um, Nathan, you, you did a video on them beforehand, and you basically mm-hmm. said that they're not that great. They're they're, they're functional, they're adaptable. Um, they'll create some triangles in the wide areas, but they're not a particularly good team. And what I, did say what I noticed was, and you actually you mentioned that they were very good at ball carrying, which they definitely were. Uh, what I noticed about them was that they they lacked any form of cutting edge. So one of your favourite things, and you refer to it often, is the up-back through. Uh, and mm-hmm. with Zagreb, there were lots of ups and backs, but no <laughs> yeah. throughs. You know, there was no creative pass at the end of their really neat interplay. And they reminded me, um, when they went forward, they reminded me of how a rugby team attacks, where it sort of goes further to the wide area in small installments. Yeah. And then yeah. occasionally it would move back towards the centre and then it starts moving back out wide again. But then by the time they've actually gone into their furthest wide player, they're only like midway through your half. So it's not so much of an issue. Um do, do you think we should perhaps have, have finished the tie more extensively in the first it, leg? It, it was definitely harder than I thought it was going to be. They were definitely uh, stronger defensively than I than I said that I thought they would be, basically. Uh, how much is that, like, it's our own limitations? How much is that being pretty strong uh, defensively? It's hard to say, uh, uh, largely because it was several days ago. We've lost the North London derby since <laughs> then, and I watched it in a... Um, extreme states of sleep deprivation. So please defer all further questions to Barty. <laughs> Barty, how do you feel about Thursday's second leg with Zagreb? Have we got anything to worry about? Um, of course, we have something to worry about. Uh, I think we should have. We should, the, the the team that we put out last week was strong enough to get three or four goals. I think they they were quite organised. They were um, yeah right. They didn't have much of a cutting edge, but they were they were well organised. They don't concede a lot of goals. I think. I think if they score early next week, this week, then it could be a little bit nerve-wracking. But I think we've got more than enough to get through this. And, and two, a 2-0 two lead with 90 minutes to go should be enough to I see us so. through. I really hope so. I mean, if, if he loses this, then, you know, then... Say it. He's got to go, Wendy. He's got to go. He's got to get out. He's got to get out of our club. But yeah, <laughs> you really can't mess this up from here. If we're, miss, if we're messing this up... Then you know. Then then, what's the point in having Jose Mourinho? We'll be, but I think we'll get through. Nathan, fine. you're you're gonna clip that up and put it inside the podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> you read me yeah. like a book. I yeah. was literally thinking about the rhythm of it. <laughs> I, I, and and you're gonna write down the time right now yeah, that it was said. I just so that you can, yeah, at the yeah. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just just checking, just checking. We're on the same page. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, right, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go into serious mode for a minute. And um, yes, we are a football podcast, and uh, and yes, we occasionally talk talk about non-football things, mainly which animals we fight. But um, this. This has been quite a troubling week, a very troubling week. And like the rest of the country, the three of us have been deeply touched by the murder of Sarah Everard. And I think there's a trio of men whose podcast listenership is made up of literally 98% men. That's not an exaggeration, that is actual data. I feel like we've got a bit of a duty to encourage as many of our listeners as possible to be allies. And by that, I mean some some practical things. So, um, for example... Not walking too closely behind women in particular as it might make them feel uncomfortable as though they're being followed. Offering to walk female friends home or if a friend asks you to walk her home on a route that you don't think is unsafe, do it. Make sure you're there for her. Cross the road if you need to overtake or fall back to give a woman some space. These are things that are obvious when you think about them but at the time aren't necessarily obvious and and it's something that I'm aware in the part you know when I've walked when I've been walking back from the station after a night out um I, I perhaps have been walking behind a woman and not thinking about the impact that, that would have on her and that's a really bad thing so I'm going to make a conscious effort to keep that in the back of my mind in, in these kind of situations now but there are also other things so for example obviously be an active bystander and if you see a situation that looks potentially threatening or harmful make yourself known um make yourself visible uh, and i think this is for me the one that's the most important the, the sort of less practical one but well it's, it's, it is practical in a way but trying to have an impact on in your all-male whatsapp groups so we've all got you know football banter whatsapp groups whatever and often they they will involve misogynistic language and and this kind of thing is the thin end of the wedge and I think I think we need to be responsible and um, you know call it out essentially, and, and that doesn't mean necessarily has to stop. If if that's if that's the way your friendship group operates and you feel comfortable with that, then so be it. But at least be aware of the impact it has and potentially can have. And the final thing is to sort of think about this is something I've seen a lot. Think about how you frame these discussions. I've seen lots of people tweet things and put things on Facebook of, along the lines of as a father mm. or as a husband. Which isn't good. The implication of that is that you only value women in, in relation to yourself. So value women and show you value women through the language that you use and show women that you value them through the language that you use. Um, I appreciate this probably comes across as, as, as pious and sanctimonious, but I felt like we had a duty to say something. Um, and I think it's something we all feel really strongly about. So, um, I hope that's been received in, in the manner in which it was meant that we're all learning. I'm learning constantly. I, I need to be a better ally. And, um, I, I've certainly come to realize that this week. Uh, back onto football stuff. Tobin Druce says, will players want to transfer to play under Mourinho in the transfer window, or has he lost pulling power? Bardi, we, we've we've spoken about whether Mourinho will stay or go. Do you think his pulling power has an impact um, on that? I think Mourinho is still a highly attractive manager for some players to play under. 
I think what he's done with Harry Kane this season has been has been great. Harry Kane has changed his game completely to suit his, his body. And, you know, he might not be exploding, but he's definitely sparkling under Mourinho. Son is also doing some great things under Mourinho. So I still think for certain individuals, there there is something in playing for Mourinho. Davinson, we didn't speak about Davinson. He's starting to improve. Is this down to Mourinho? I don't know, but it yeah. could be. So I think Mourinho still has a, has a pull. And yeah, I, I think I would like to give a shout out to Davinson. I thought, I thought the penalty was, I could see why it was given. I thought it was a little bit harsh, but I thought he dealt with covering up, covering up behind Doherty quite well. And he, he looked pretty good on Sunday. We didn't talk about the penalty, actually, Nathan. It's something that you've um, repeatedly pointed out, that when a player gets a shot away uh, mm. and then is fouled, a penalty is never given but should be. Uh, in this instance, he sort of skewed the shot somewhat, which I yeah. think is the main reason the penalty was given, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and we've independently sort of come to that analysis and so have other people, which is which is absurd that that is the case. Essentially, like, the shot is so bad that the ball is still <laughs> in play, which somehow makes the foul a foul as opposed to not. Um, and so Davinson is, is guilty of, of fouling a player who's not had a good enough shot. Just the whole thing is, is ridiculous. Um, so by not the rules as they're written, but the rules as they're practiced, Davinson makes the right decision and then is let down by the poor quality of the opposition player's shots. What a ridiculous position football has worked itself into. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is a penalty personally, but I can really see the argument that people are frustrated because it's not often given. Like that's a completely legitimate argument. I think that there's a lack of consistency. And um, Nathan, what about on the pulling power question? Do you do you think that Mourinho is still an attractive proposition to yeah. players outside yeah. of Tottenham? I, th- I think we've we've we touched on this before. Um, it will be it will be another five years of Mourinho going trophyless, being sacked by multiple clubs before players stop associating him with 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 winning the Champions League um it will take mm-hmm. a long time and so if he's still going to be at the club we have that as a positive to take advantage of and, mm-hmm. and that that will be that won't be written against him um you know in his time here at all mm-hmm. um Justin Ashworth says Harry Kane has been outstanding this season you could argue he is playing better than ever do you particularly Nathan and Windy give any credit mm-hmm. to Mourinho I for this? agree that he is playing his best ever football um, essentially, I think that he is combining uh, match fitness, which he has had lacked for a few years prior to the lockdown, with the sort of experience uh, that he develops through the time of lacking fitness and also just generally um, to, sort of towards his late peak. Um, do I give credit to Mourinho for this? Yes. Yes, some. Mainly it's down to Kane's pre-existing brilliance and the fact that a global pandemic stopped football for long enough to Harry Kane to heal, you know, for the first time in years. Uh, but also, I think that Mourinho's attacking instructions, which are not non-existent, but um, less than his contemporaries, uh, and the freedom that that allows him, and the way that that suits Kane playing as a number 10 from a starting position of a number nine and then sort of arriving in the box at the right time that suits him and and has allowed him to push his uh his tenniness into greater extremes um but i think that like i don't know i Mourinho gets five ten percent of the credit for kane's brilliance (laughs) i mean it's you can't like 
people credit Pochettino for bringing out Kane. So yeah, so I, I think I think it's a little bit. I think it's a little bit more than that on how Kane is developed. So I think if we're going to credit Pochettino, I think if we're going to give Pochettino, I don't know, thirty, forty percent credit, then I think maybe twenty percent at least should go to Mourinho. I think it's. I think it's a little what? bit more. How much better is Kane now than he was at his best? Yeah, you know, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's better, but I think he's I think he's he's obviously had to become a different player. So he's not any better than he was before this manager arrived, but the current manager deserves twenty percent credit for it. I think he's different. I think this Kane is a different version. He's had to he's had to adapt, and I don't know. I think maybe some of that is down to Mourinho. I think making changing how he plays, changing how he's played, and how he's had to change because of his body. I I, I like to think, well, I, I hope and I think actually that Mourinho has had an impact on that. So there's a couple of things that I think Mourinho deserves credit for. I mean, the first mm. thing is I completely agree with Nathan that the enforced rest is is the the biggest thing for Kate. I really do. I, I mean, it's so obvious, but I, I really do. Um, I I think when we were doing the Amazon documentary watch alongs, one thing we gave Mourinho Mourinho a lot of credit for was how much Kane bought into what he was saying. And he really did. I mean, Kane absolutely buys into the Mourinho mystique. He's he's all in, I think, on um, on what Mourinho can do for him. Um, I don't doubt that. I really don't doubt that. And I think Mourinho playing this tactic where Kane gets to show, showcase his extraordinary passing abilities has allowed us to see just how good Kane is in, in those situations. And I think he's actually perhaps even got better at his long-range passing in particular. Um, but one thing I would say is, with the numbers Kane is, is putting together now, if we if we were playing Kane in a possession-based team and, and he was playing closer to the opposition goal, he would be getting absolutely absurd shot numbers. If Kane was playing in Man City's team, his shot numbers would be literally off the charts. They would be 99th percentile. They would be extreme. And he would be scoring mad numbers of goals. And, uh, and and he's not doing that. He's he's getting a good number of a really good number of goals. But I think he could do better in a possession based well, team. Oh uh, yeah, of course he could. He could go play for Bayern Munich, and he would be doing the exact same kind of numbers Lewandowski's doing. And yeah, of course, if if Kane played for the best team in the country, he'd be doing amazing things. But he's not playing for the best team in the country. He's playing for a, a rather faulty Spurs that you know aren't that great aren't that great most of the time so yeah of course he'd be he could be doing better if he was at a better team and I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the numbers he is doing in this in this mad mental team I think it's a choice I think it's a, a choice that Mourinho makes that he uses Kane in this particular position where he could use him higher up the pitch and look to create more possession and I think personally that you'd get more out of Kane in in the latter but that you know that's uh Personal opinion. I I I, and I I agree with you. I agree with you. If you have Kane nearer the goal, he would do better things. But I just I just think we're unable to get him there right now. I think we're trying, and against certain teams, against the better teams and better organized teams, we just I just can't do it. We tried. I think we. I honestly believe we tried on Sunday, but we just couldn't get through them, and we couldn't we couldn't move the team up the pitch. Uh, Nathan, there's another one directed to you and I here. We're getting okay. we're getting a lot of. Um attention in our in our mailbag this week so this is from alexander uh, veer nickel who says dear windy and nathan i like this because he uses the phrase nathan d uh, uh yeah i'll go with it yeah <laughs> well you will go with it because you're first so yeah um 
he, I like Waythan. He says, yes, I've not included Bardi as my question slash rant doesn't pertain as much to him. All of us listeners know that the collective Nathan D are fervent advocates that Moo is not the right man for the job. And in a perfect world, Jose would be long gone in the summer to be replaced by Nagelsmann. What sparked my bizarre reaction to try and speak out loud to a podcast was, while I understand the reason for not wanting Moo in, I haven't heard much discussion about what Moo out this summer could look like in terms of shaking up the squad. If you are Kane or Sonny and Mourinho is sacked this summer, do you really have the patience to stick around for another long-term project to build Spurs into a silverware winning team with a young manager? He adds, um, are you willing to lose Kane and or Son to replace the manager with a personality and style you agree with that fits with the team? So uh, there's two parts to that, Nathan. Do do you think it needs to be a a long-term project, I suppose, is the first? And secondly, assuming that is the case, do you sort of forego the fact that Kane and Son might leave to change to a a more progressive manager? Uh, Okay, yes, I think that we should be looking for a long-term project next. I think that if you're Kane, you stick around because you love Spurs. Uh, essentially, you, you've already given us most of your best years. Um, I, I, I don't think Kane ever completely rules out the possibility of ever going somewhere else. But I also don't think that he has, is or has ever been or is ever likely to be desperate to leave. Um, I mean, you know, it, things could go just horrifically for us for a couple of years and, and, and we might lose him. But... Uh, I don't think that I don't think we should be that concerned, and I don't think that we should base the decisions we make at the club too much around this sort of paranoia that that Kane is sort of has a bag packed ready to go all the times because because he would have left by now, <laughs> you know, he would have left by now, he would have he wouldn't be sticking around for as long as he has through the things that he has if he had his eyes on going other places in the way that we get worried that he has. Of course, he's going to keep his options open. Um, but like I think he loves Tottenham I think he just genuinely loves Tottenham he loves his club in a way that players just don't anymore and that's so special and we should enjoy it rather than getting sort of preemptively upset about it not being the case for your son I think um, he enjoys his time here I don't I think that that he's a very very good player but is he definitely step up from from us, from who we are as a club, not right this moment, but where we've been over the last several years and where we are fairly likely to be again within a couple of years. Um, so I think for Son, it's 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 happy either way. I think he's pretty settled where he is. Um, from our perspective, I would be looking to sell Son. I wouldn't be looking to sell Kane under basically any circumstances. For a while, I was open to the idea because I thought that his ankle injury had really undermined his ability and um, the market probably wouldn't reflect that. And therefore, if we could get an you know, outrageous uh, world record breaking transfer money out of a player who wasn't as good as he was before injury, then we could consider that a possibility. But now that, that the ankle injury has cleared up, that I can now look back at that and say that was the wrong call. and We should have been more patient and we should have just rested him instead of selling him. Um, but now that's the case. Definitely don't sell him under basically any circumstances at all, unless he has to, you know, unless he's pushing for the leave himself and, and things have got sour. But in terms of Sun, yeah, I think yes, I think we should be looking to sell Sun this summer. Again, you know, obviously the market is all over the place. Uh, the pandemic has changed the, the marketplace and the industry. Um, if there isn't a good offer for him, it doesn't matter. But I think that we should we should be looking to move Sun on. Um, 
because he can bring in good money because we need that money for the rebuild because we need general turnover in the squad as it is because he's reaching that age where his value is going to start shooting down over time i like son a lot <laughs> i won't be upset if he's still here next next season um but the smart play is to is to look for options for him of course you um of course you answer that question by saying yes sell that's uh that's your thing <laughs> um so i i i would sort of push back slightly against the question and say I don't think so I, I agree with Nathan that I think we need a, a project manager next someone who wants to really try and build something but I don't think football really works that way anymore to some degree and I also don't think it needs you know two or three years to bed a manager in I just don't I think the potential of this squad is huge as it is now and I think the right man is going to just get loads out of it I really do I think a summer of good coaching We'll see us instantly back in the top four, if not more. And I think we'll win. I think we'll win trophies over the next few years. I think the squad is that good. Um, so I, I, I don't think Son and Kane necessarily need to sort of think two, three years ahead. They can think to next year and, and see that next year can be successful if we appoint the right manager. Do I think they're going to necessarily sort of be excited by someone like Nagelsmann? <sighs> Maybe not. Maybe they do like the fact that Mourinho is a pop star. Maybe that's really appealing to players. I, I think that's entirely possible. And, and Nagelsmann is a much younger man who's not won anything. Um, and he's sort of a hipster's choice. But I honestly don't think it'll be long until they buy into things because they'll see how effective it is. Um, what do you think, Barbie? It's, it, it, it's complicated. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think selling Sun is financially probably the right thing to do. Um, the second part of the question was, would I, like, Nagelsmann in, Sun out, would I be willing to sell Sun for Nagelsmann? I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in Nagelsmann. I, I understand I understand what he does and what he brings, and I understand the appeal of it and the difference it is from Jose, but I'm not. I'm yet to be convinced on Nagelsmann. I, I have to see. I have to see when he comes and what I take from it. When Mourinho arrived... I knew we weren't going to get the best type of football, but we would get this uh, it's a horrible thing to say, but we might get winning football. We might win a couple of trophies, which would be lovely. And we still might win a couple of trophies, which would be lovely. Um, if that doesn't if that doesn't work, then of course, then let's change it up and let's go for a project manager. But three years, a three-year plan for Nagelsmann. No manager gets three years anymore. I just, it just doesn't happen. Nagelsmann will come in and if in 18 mm-hmm. months we're... We're where we are right now, but not in the cup final. He's fired as well. He's gone. I think. I think if you look at the Premier League now, 100%. you know Solskjaer was given an incredible amount of time because he was he's seen as a legend at the club, and they, they had nowhere else to go. Um, Everton turned to Ancelotti, which is a very kind of Jose, Jose Mourinho appointment. I think. I think for a club of Tottenham stature, we don't have three years to give a manager anymore. It's eighteen months, or they're gone. I. I would like I would like Nagelsmann to come in and be great, but I'm also I'm equally as doubtful. It's a, it's a roulette. He could come in and be great, or he could come in and be shit. It's kind of like where Mourinho is. I don't think there's a a formula out there that means he's immediately going to be a success. I I think you're overestimating some of our players. I think there are real deficiencies within this squad, which are which perhaps we didn't highlight at the start of the season, but are now coming out to the fore. I think. I think Eric Dyer, Eric Dyer and Doherty, these types of players just haven't improved. And if anything, they've they've got worse. So I I don't think a new manager coming in immediately would win trophies and take us back to the top four. Okay, so this one is um, on Gareth 
Bale, so this is from Thomas Freeman, who says, I've been thinking about the role that Bale plays nowadays compared to 10 years ago. Back in 12-13, when he had his best season, I always felt there was an element that he was trying to imitate Cristiano Ronaldo of his late Man U early Madrid days. Now that Bale's gotten older, I feel he's continuing in that vein, but instead is is the late Madrid Ronaldo, who did all his best work in the penalty area with close range finishes and glancing headers. I'd love to hear your thoughts if you believe it's a deliberate decision on his part, or it simply needs must as his physical powers decline. I thought this was interesting. I when I was on the um, Oh What a Night podcast um, with with Ben Haynes, um, uh, I spoke about Bale dropping deeper and doing some of the stuff that I see James Rodriguez do for Everton. Lots of switches of play, lots of good touches uh, in his own box. And Dan Kilpatrick made the point that he sees it the opposite way that that Bale can get in the box and get on the end of things. And actually, what we're seeing now is that he's doing both quite effectively he's he's i mean certainly against the grab mm-hmm. his switching of play was phenomenal um was it so grab no it was a previous game it was a previous game against um palace, Crystal palace. yeah his, his switches were absolutely phenomenal he was he was really impressive in that respect and he's getting in the box regularly so i've been really really impressed with both elements of his play and Bardi, what do you think do you think that uh bale's changing remolding his his game I, I think there's a big difference here he's, he's definitely had to remold because of his his physical stature but I think we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo here that had a team at Real Madrid that was belt, bent towards his will. You know, it was a team where he had Benzema, mm-hmm. who was quite willing to score a minimal amount of goals as a centre forward. Um, I don't think you get that from Harry Kane. Harry Kane wants to get his 30, 40 goals. It would need a manager to go, Bale is how we're going to score goals. And I'm going to create a team that works for that. It, at Tottenham, he's, he's not Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, you need to be an insane player with an insane ego and some numbers to be able to back that up. Um, it's something that Juventus have tried to repeat what Real Madrid did and it, it hasn't worked. They're out of the Champions League again, which is quite funny. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I, I don't think it would need a massive reshift at Tottenham to build a team to support Bale. And I just don't think Bale is good enough at the moment to be able to do that. You're not going to sacrifice Harry Kane for Gareth Bale right now. Nice, nice. Um, we'll end with this one from Andy Toronto, who says, As a relatively recent purveyor of Spurs podcasts, I'm just curious about the history of the fighting cock the extra inch, as in when you moved from one to start the other, when and how you hooked up with Nathan, etc. Um, and then says, Let me just say I find the tone and pace of the extra inch much more enjoyable than most of what's there in Spurs podcast land these days. Very kind, Andy. So often there are too many people interrupting or talking over one another, is that a conscious style choice on your part not to let that happen? Well, today's podcast, we've spoken all over one another. It's partly mm. because of slight delays on the on the line. But um, actually, Nathan, I'd be interested to hear you talk about this from your perspective around uh, how, how we hooked up. <laughs> I was going to answer about the other aspect, which is that I painstakingly remove half the occasions <laughs> where we talk over each other for every episode. That's why we do it. That's because I take it out. We still now, I think it's just the way people are. Uh, one thing I noticed about myself is that I interrupt myself quite a bit. I interrupt other people definitely, but I've also it's weird listening back to yourself and you you under, you you learn your own habits. And I start a sentence and then argue <laughs> with that argument and then come back <laughs> to myself with the counter argument to the argument I made to myself um, without ever finishing a sentence along the way. Uh, so yes, that's the secret to the podcast is we I polish it all up in in post. Um, what happened was, um, I started writing match previews on Reddit. Was it that? Yeah. I started writing match previews 
on on Reddit, and then like I tweeted you. Oh shit, I can't remember. Yeah, I, I tweeted you my like my match preview for a Watford game. Um, this was early on under Pochettino. We played Watford, and I predicted that we would line up with a back three, um, which we'd never done before. And then we did for that game, and I think that caught your attention. And it was it was it was fluky. It was it was just like a, th- a throwaway comment from me, basically in this preview. And I started doing YouTube videos. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> You, you fill in from there, mate. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I noticed, I noticed this, um, this, this slightly raw style, um, yeah. which was very unusual at that point. It wasn't a thing. Most, most YouTube content around football was very polished, so it was quite eye-catching in the sense that you weren't attempted to do that. It was more about the content than the than the look, um, and also, yeah, your 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 uh, pictorial previews. And your written previews, um, but I can't remember. I know I started following you on on Twitter and I started sort of retweeting some of your stuff. I can't remember when we first got in touch to get you on the pod. Do you have any memory of that, Bardi? Um, no, I just remember you sending me a sliding into my DMs and saying, "Let's bury the fighting cock." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so what we should say to Andy is, uh, so Bardi and I were were part of the fighting cock for many years. I mean, I think Bardi, you still go on fighting cock every mm-hmm. now and again. Um, I did a youth update on the fighting cock for the best part of a decade. They are still some of our best friends, and we talk to them literally all day, every day. Uh, in our in our WhatsApp group, not not so much about Spurs. Well, yeah, no, lots about Spurs, but lots about other stuff as well. Um, with with dear dear friends. Um, and Flav actually suggested that we we split the podcast. So initially, Bardi and I had this idea we wanted a bit more space to talk about tactical things, and we we started doing that. Uh, but then Flav sort of went, "Well, why don't you just start your own?" separate podcast and i think the idea at first was that it was going to be part of the fighting cock network but that it would be standalone and then we realized very quickly that actually this is it's like we're talking about the same matches it's not going to work it's silly because we're repeating stuff and we're, we're essentially covering one another's um content so flav encouraged us to set up by ourselves which we did and it went pretty well from from the start to be honest they were they were less frequent at the beginning and then um over time we we became more frequent as, as soon as we started doing this remotely rather than in person it became a lot easier and it became a weekly thing and that's where we are now um i'm suddenly remembering that um that like i was originally gonna be on um every other episode that you and i think reasonably uh wanted to like ease ease the <laughs> listeners into me not 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 overdo it and so i wasn't i don't i'm not on the like i think second and fourth really? episode. I can't yeah. remember that at all. Yeah, I was I was going to be the the regular, but not always semi regular. Because guest. we had these ideas to after, have other guests on, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. And then you were like, after I think the second one without me, you're like, yeah, you just want to <laughs> just want to come in every week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously the chemistry was just there from the start, Nathan. Yeah, I, I do. I, I, yeah. So for for people who just joined, uh, just started listening now. Back in the day, we used to record in person, and we used to record in a, in a broom cupboard at um, was it a audio audio boom? A- audio boom. Audio, audio boom. boom had the hottest. It was so hot. Hottest studio, and we used to squeeze in there and just sweat yeah. on each other. Um, sweat lodge. Yeah. Little stools with our yeah. knees touching each other, sort of sweaty knees, because you'd have to wear shorts, obviously, with that temperature. Sweaty knees are rubbing together. 
high quality mics. You could never do it these days with um, social distancing and everything. God knows what was flowing around in that <laughs> room. <laughs> and then we were lucky enough to record at Caves um, Studios. Um, Cave on who who's done lots of stuff for the Fighting Cock over the years and just a great all round guy. Um, kindly let's record his studios. That was amazing. Um, but then it became clear quite quickly that like we weren't losing too much from doing this remotely so it just made sense yeah i mean you should if you if you don't listen to the fighting cock you definitely should it is still it's it's the biggest and the best spurs podcast um it's very different to the extra inch but i think i do think we sort of we bounce off one another quite well you've been listening to the extra inch thanks to nathan a clark for production thanks to bardi for being italian thanks to adam gardner for the artwork Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.